What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler. Here with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And uh, it's good to finally actually get back into game week here. I mean, we've been in game week for a couple days now, but to actually have a preview show, the bye week, and everyone probably enjoys your bye week, kind of taking the week off and just relaxing a little bit, kind of taking a deep breath here in the middle of the season. But it's nice to be back here, especially now with a cocktail party game that, man... I really, really want to win. So it's good to actually be able to talk some on-the-field football here, and we will have the full preview of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I don't care if we're not supposed to call it that. That's ridiculous. PC culture's gone amok here. But, uh, yeah, we'll have a full preview of that show of that for you guys here momentarily, but just a couple quick news items for you. If some of you guys are newer to the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us any thoughts or any ideas, uh, and really any kind of feedback on the show too, that works too, uh, to uh, gloryujpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find our show on a bunch of different platforms out there. Obviously, you're listening to us somewhere, somehow. But uh, we're on dogsportsradio.com or the uh, vSporto internet radio app, the Dogsports Radio app there. You can find it in your app store. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, some of those bigger podcasting platforms out there. And, of course, the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. But, Kurt, let's, with that stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into this show, man. we got a lot to talk about. This is a huge game for us. I know Florida's 3-3 three and three right now, so on the service, you might say, well, it's the number three team in the country versus a team that's 3-3. Three and three. So how can this be considered a huge game? But anyone who's paid attention to the last 20, 25 years of this rivalry, you know, especially for us in the Georgia fan base, this is a big deal. And, hell, we're 7-0 right now, so any game right now as we inch closer and closer to the end of the season, and we're still in contention for a playoff bid, potentially. We've got a lot of football left to play, but... Every game from here on out has a great deal of importance, and this one is certainly no different. So let's go ahead and start talking about this. Now, we'll, we'll definitely get into the matchups. What we always like to do is break down every single matchup on the field here and see who has the advantage. But before we get there, Kurt, I just I want to talk about our history in Jacksonville for a few minutes. Here. We talked about this a little bit on the show earlier in the week, kind of how does history factor into this actual game. But I want to get into this conversation a little bit more because – I kind of go back and forth in this idea, but Kurt, from your perspective, like how does our history, at least our, I guess our last 20, 25 years in Jacksonville, how will that factor into this week? Will it factor into this week at all, this game? Um, I'd say, I think it, I think the message was received loud and clear with Kirby on Sunday by, you know, at the team meeting, just saying to those of you who have beat Florida stand up and no one stood up. So, I mean, that history right there showed the rest of the team. I mean, that's really all he had to say to get the team ready to go back to practice. Like they needed that much, but that just set the, set, set the, you know, set the, set the high, the tempo really right there. And I think that right there plays into, I mean, they no nobody on our rosters beat them in the last three years. And so I think it just sends a message that, you know, it's time for us to change something. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's you're right. That kind of sets the tone for the entire week. But I also think this is a different team. I think this team is more intrinsically motivated. They take each game week by week and want to win that game because we need to win that game. Uh, so I, I, I'm with you. I think Kirby did set the tone the right way. But do you think, like, is this a game that has really kind of gotten into the heads of our players over the past couple of years? Is that, has that really been a factor in kind of Florida's dominance over the past 20-plus years? I don't know. You know, I want to say it hasn't, but when it comes down to it, some of these games we lost, we were the better team, and our players were doing mistakes that they hadn't made the rest of yeah, the Yeah, un- very uncharacteristic mistakes. 
Yeah, yeah they had, and that, that hadn't been normal throughout the season. So I want to say it hasn't, but I don't know. I don't have an explanation for the mistakes that our players have gone out and done that has killed us. Yeah, it's kind of for me. It's like a difference between my gut and and my intellect. Because intellectually, you're like, okay, well, how can what's happened in previous years impact what's happening this year with these teams? Two entirely different teams, separate entities. But in your gut, when you see it year after year after year, you kind of it's, it's hard not to at least find the idea that there's there's something to it. Like is maybe our players get tight. And, and tell me, like, think, what, what do you think about this? Like, I think it's just the mindset of each team and kind of how they approach this game. I, I think for the most part of the past twenty plus years, like we go into these games, at least most of them, think like thinking we can win. We think we can win the game. Whereas Florida, it's gotten to the point where they just they believe they're going to win. They just assume they're going to win. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you heard some people talk about it. Like, uh, I think it's I think it was Aaron Murray who was talking about the difference in these two teams between Kirby's type mentality teams and Mark Rick. And he said, you know, Kirby has an Alabama mentality where they go into the game knowing that they're going to win. Um, He's trying to instill that for sure. Yeah, that that they're the more talented team, that they're the more prepared team, and that Rick's mentality of the team was, you know, more or less that we know it's going to be a dogfight um, and that it's going to be a close game come into fourth quarter and stuff. And I think that, you know, it's like you're saying, I mean, Florida has had that mentality where they're going to find that they, they know deep down that they'll find a way to win no matter what. And, and I believe that has been the case in years past. But here's my thing with this year, okay? Yeah, yeah you know, I, I agree. I think this or jumping ahead, uh, I do think this year is going to be a lot different because you can see it from th- throughout the season this far, just the change in mentality. Yeah, I think there's a there's a change in the team in our, our team's mentality. But like just this week, all the trash talk from from Hammond, from Chauncey Gardner on the other side there, from the Florida side, all that trash talk coming from them that tells me that this idea that that they just they assume they're going to expect to win this game. I'm not so sure that's the case this year because to me, when you start talking, when you start talking trash early in the week like that, when you're in three and three team facing the number three team in the country, to me that screams that they are trying to convince themselves that they're going to win. Not only that, but I have to say, McElwain coming out with these death threat claims that he has yet to back Dude, up. Dude, what is going up. on with that? Is yeah, he absurd. Back them up to his own administration. I mean, he, to me, he's more or less trying to take attention away from the game and from the team right now, and I don't understand that either. I don't that that is that was so bizarre, man. Like I mean, like it's know, almost I, like he like, lost his train of thought and forgot what he was doing for a minute and just started talking out of his butt and yeah, cause didn't know what direction to go in. They usually back up, back the players stuff. You know, they said you know, and they came out with that weird message themselves saying you know, well, we take these claims serious, but Coach McElwain is yet to you know go into more detail. So I mean, it's it's a very weird situation. You know, the mentality of that program right now. Yeah, all they had to do, like all the Ford administration do, is like we take all these claims against our. Potential claims against our players and coaches very seriously. We have they have our full support, but no, they didn't say anything like that. That's your kind of run of the most statement. Their, their statement was it, they wrapped it up by saying, "Coach, coach has failed to disclose any further information." They, essentially, calling him out, like calling him a liar without actually calling him a liar, which is weird. Just a weird situation. There. So yeah, I think honestly, with, with that whole situation and with the trash talk coming from them, to me that is screaming. That screams to me that this is a team that's trying to convince themselves that they're going to win this game based on what's happened in the past. They're just trying to convince themselves. Because, look, if, if you go in there and expect to win, like you don't have to talk trash. You just go out, you go out there and you play and you win. You don't have to talk trash. So, And you usually don't see that from Florida that much when it comes to this game. But this year, all of a sudden, you're seeing that. So I think there's some, there might be something to that. Um, and again, just kind of wrapping this up here, normally I would say, I kind of said this at the outset, normally I would say what has happened in previous years has very little bearing on this year because, I mean, it's different teams. But I do think... 
down in my gut, deep down in my gut, I do think that this situation, this is one where I do think what has transpired in years past kind of in some ways does factor in the present. Even though this is a different team, we've changed our mindset. That's all true. But when the game gets tight and you you've kind of you haven't had much success in this series for years and years and years now, when the game gets tight, don't you feel like you have a tendency as a player to start playing tighter? Yeah. I, I so and I think like there's this a very real thing where you kind of just want to win so badly to change the narrative out there that you get tight and you make those uncharacteristic uncharacteristic mistakes that you were mentioned earlier. So I think this our history in Jacksonville does factor into this somewhat. Normally, I'm not much of a believer in that. I think every year is a separate year. It's an entirely separate entity, and the different teams are different from year to year. But just the, the narrative that's out there, that's in our players' heads, I do think that that, that has been a factor in the past. It would be very interesting to see if uh, Kirby has been able to change that mindset to the point where it's just not a factor at all. We'll, we'll see. We'll see come Saturday. All right, let's move into the matchups here. And we're going to start with the Florida offense, and uh, we're going to look at the Florida passing game versus our pass defense now Curtis on the surface this is a complete mismatch in our favor Florida has four passing touchdowns and guys I'm I did not misspeak they have four passing touchdowns on the entire year it's 116th nationally we've only given up seven passing touchdowns on the year uh we're number 11 give up 170 yards to the air game and we're actually number four in the country in yards per attempt whereas on the flip side Florida is 102nd nationally only throwing for 182 yards a game, and they're 63rd in yards per attempt with 7.2 yards per attempt. So like I said, Kerr, on the surface here, it looks like this is a complete mismatch. Is that actually the case as you've watched these two teams? Um, I think it is a little bit because I think the thing is they're just they're just so inaccurate passing-wise and then receiving-wise. They have players, but their offensive line, it's kind of like us last year, I mean, we don't have a ton difference in our receiving core. I mean, there are some players who are stepping up that weren't there last year, but our offensive line and our overall lack of identity made it that much more difficult to open up the passing game. What do you think about Felipe Franks? What is your take on him? Um, out of his league. You think like right now he's just in over his head? Uh, yeah. Like, here's the thing. I mean, I I've spent the entire bye week just pouring over every single game that they have played. Some of them multiple times. And to me, like when I look at Felipe Franks out there, he he looks the part. He's big, tall. I mean, he's like six six, but he's not like a, a thin six six. He's got a good, solid build to him. He's got an incredible arm. Like I think he has a stronger arm than Jacob Easton. Like when he throws the football, when he lays it out there vertically, it is a gorgeous looking ball. I mean, the dude can absolutely throw the football. But the thing is, despite him looking the part, having every physical tool you would ever want in the quarterback position, it's just not translating. And I know he's still a young quarterback. It's his first year getting any, really any playing time. But it's just not translating. The guy, despite all his physical tools, he simply does not see the field. Okay, He does not do the little things good quarterbacks do. Uh, and what I'm talking about when I say the little things... Things like against Texas A&M, there's a couple examples where he's he's rolling out, he gets he's getting pressure in his face, he's outside the pocket. Well, all you have to do is just chuck the ball out of bounds, and and you live to fight another down. But instead of chucking the ball out of bounds, which is just, to me it should be just common sense for a quarterback, it should be almost just a natural reaction. He just runs out of bounds for a four or five yard loss instead of just easily just throwing the ball away. It's those little things that he doesn't do. He doesn't see wide open receivers. He locks on to guys. 
Uh, he doesn't do a good job at all of looking off defenders. Those little things, he just does not do it. And he's he can be accurate at times, but he's so up and down. He's so inconsistent. A woman who put the ball on the money, like that, the pass to win the game. People call it a Hail Mary. It wasn't really a Hail Mary against Tennessee. Uh, he just happened to see a guy running down the field and threw it to him, and he put it on the money to Tyree Cleveland. Beautiful pass, beautiful pass. But then he'll have a pass where he throws a 10-yard out route right at somebody's feet. And it's like, dude, what is, like, what's up with that? So he's just so inconsistent, has all the talent you could ever really want in that position. He's functionally mobile, too. He's not a statue back there at all. He busted off a 70-plus-yard scramble against a and which is kind of a fluky thing, but he has the ability to do that if he needs to. But he's just so inconsistent. He's uh, completing 63% of his passes, which you're like, oh, that's, that's solid. But it's because he's dinking and dunking, man. He's only thrown for over 200 yards one time on the year. Uh, and he started every single game except for the one where Del Rio got hurt in, and he played the majority of that game. He's bottom four in the SEC in quarterback rating, so he's really not an efficient or a good quarterback at all. So it's just not translating to me. Um, You're talking about playmakers, though. See, and you mentioned this. Franks aside, I think Florida has plenty of playmakers offensively, especially in the passing game. Way more than they've had in years past, even without Antonio Callaway. So when you're looking at some of those playmakers, Kurt, who are the guys that stand out to you that Franks has to kind of work with? Um, I think that they're actually playmakers. Um, they can, I think it's not that I, I don't think that they're actually great receivers. I think they're just good athletes. So like Tyree Cleveland is a good athlete. Um, he's not the best at getting open, but he's usually quicker than most people. He's, I mean, he's a big play threat. I mean, he's only got 50. Yeah. He's kind of like, it's really, he's very similar, at least in his, if you look at his numbers to Terry Godwin, Cleveland's only got, only has 15 catches on the year. Now he's missed a couple the last couple games. Uh, I think last two games, or they actually played a little bit against Texas A&M, but not much. He was kind of just out there. Uh, but he has 15 catches on the year, but for 326 yards. That's 21 yards a catch. He's definitely a big play threat. He is their big play threat. Uh, then you got Brandon Powell. What what kind of play? Like what do you see in Brandon Powell? Does he concern you at all? Kind uh, of a jitterbug I mean, slot he's, receiver. He's good, but I mean, you saw without Cleveland, they had the, the t- no passing game. Brandon, that's, I mean, he, he is a big part of their passing, especially their vertical passing. Well, the thing is, without Cleveland, they don't have anyone to take the top of the defense, so defense kind of just, they can they can zero in on the, inter, the short intermediate game, which is what Brandon Powell is all about. Powell is their slot receiver. Um, he's he's a smaller guy. He's short, but he's thick. He's not he's not a small guy. He's just a short guy. Uh, but he does somewhat concern because he's a first down machine. He's not a vertical threat at all. They don't throw the ball down the field to him. They get him heavily involved in the screen and the short passing game. They use him on option routes, kind of those whip routes in space. They kind of match him against a linebacker or safety, give him the option to go either way, depending on the leverage of the defenders playing with. And when they're when it's third and medium, when they get in those situations, you better believe they're going to be looking for Brandon Powell. All of our eyes, all of our dog eyes, should go straight to Brandon Powell. Whenever it's like third and four to third and six. Look for him in the slot because I guarantee you they're going to try to hit him in some sort of option route. Uh, and then there's a guy named Kadarius Tony, uh, who's a who's a freshman who's insanely athletic. He's he's got that quick twitch type ability. Uh, right now he's only got 11 catches for 107 yards. He's missed the past couple games with a separated shoulder. I don't know if he's going to be playing on Saturday. He was at practice, but he was in a non-contact jersey. So the, it's kind of up in the air. He's probably a game-time decision, but he is a playmaker for them, kind of in the vein of Brandon Powell, but I would say more electric than Brandon Powell is. Do their tight ends, DeAndre Goolsby and Siante Lewis, do they strike any fear into your heart? Um, You know, they're good. They're solid, but, I mean, they're not playmakers. They're not difference makers. No, I mean, the, the, when I, you're right. I think when I watch them play, I think Goolsby and Lewis are actually good players. I think they have 
a, a good amount of ability, but they're not. They haven't been productive. Whether it's because they haven't used them or whatever it is, and maybe it's because your quarterback is not very good. But together, combined, Goolsby and Lewis do not have a hundred yards between them. A hundred yards receiving on the year, they do not have that between them. So I don't know how much of a factor they are in the passing game, but they are good, and they and they, I guess they could explode at any point. Uh, so kind of breaking down floor there. We clearly have the advantage here, right? Yeah. In this pass game. Yeah, I mean, and look, this is a, a, a passing offense. Like I said, 102nd in the country, 182 yards a game, going up against the best passing defense that they're going to face all year. So on the surface, it looks like a mismatch. And when you really watch them, I, I think it kind of holds up. I think this is a, a matchup that's heavily weighted in our favor here. But let's look at the other side of the equation for Florida's offense. Let's look at their rushing game. So if you look at the Florida rush offense versus our rushing defense, is this as much of a mismatch as our pass off, our pass defense versus their passing offense? I still think it is. I think their offensive line is extremely weak, and the run game's average. I mean, you know, that's really what they rely on the most of the time, but I still don't think it's anywhere to the level of what we've seen with Notre Dame in places like that. When your passing game is as putrid as theirs is, I mean, you kind of have to rely on the run game. That's kind of by default, but... You're right. They haven't been. They've been solid running the football. They're better running the football than they are throwing the football. But they haven't been great. Uh, they're seventh in the SEC right now uh, at 168 yards a game. Uh, but the thing is, oh, that's those are average-ish numbers. Well, they're getting ready to face a top four rush defense that's only giving up 82 yards a game on the ground. Okay, again, on the surface, not a great matchup for Florida. A very, very favorable matchup for us here. Uh, if you look at their running backs, is there one guy that stands out to you? They, they kind of have a rotation there. Malik Davis, uh, Michael Pirine, brother of Samaj Pirine, a former Oklahoma fame. Uh, Mark Thompson's a, a veteran guy. He's kind of a bigger back for them. Uh, obviously, Jordan Scarlett has not played for them this year because he's a criminal. Uh, but who kind of stands out to you as the guy to really watch out for the running back position? I think Pirine, because I think he's a little bit more versatile than Thompson. I think P. Ryan's definitely more versatile than Thompson, and he's he's a better back than Thompson. To me, though, the guy that's really come on the past couple games is Malik Davis, a, a three-star afterthought recruit that no one was really paying much attention to. He's not a big guy; he's not particularly great at anything. He's not he's he's not a spectacular back, Malik Davis, but he's just a good, solid back. He gets skinny in the hole. He has solid burst. He runs really hard. Him and P. Ryan both run very hard. So while neither neither Davis or P. Ryan are particularly uh, spectacular, I guess is the word I would say, I would use here. They're both good, solid backs uh, who can break tackles, who run hard and get the tough yards in between the tackles to kind of complement what should be a, a good passing game with some of the weapons they have, but it's just not a good passing game. Uh, you don't seem to like this this offensive line. What do you see that you don't like? I mean, they're just not – it kind of reminds me of our offense from last year. Just not getting any consistent movement? Yeah. Yeah, and and then they've got – so like Martez Ivy was a big – if you guys pay attention to recruiting, which I know a lot of you do, he was a big name a couple years back. But and well, he's he's been a starter for a year or two now. He he hasn't done anything to be an overwhelming player. He he's playing on the right side last year. Now he's on the left side playing tackle, and he's 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 okay. He's good. He's solid-ish, but he hasn't been he hasn't lived up to his recruiting hype yet. And he doesn't get a ton of moves. He's more of a pass protector. He's more athletic than he is anything. He's not one of those guys that's gonna just. Pound, that can you can kind of just line up behind him and run behind him all game long. He's not that big type physical blocker. Uh, John Taylor on the other side, he uh, he's a little bit more of that that type of, of lineman. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm with you. Their offensive line is underwhelming. It's I, I don't think they're terrible, but I, I don't think they're particularly good either. Uh, here's the thing though, uh, I, 
they do not have a quarterback, or at least Felipe Franks, he is not a factor in their run game. Like I mentioned earlier, he's functionally mobile, but he, he does not factor into their run game on a down-to-down basis. Watching, going back and watching their games, I might have counted on one hand the number of times they've actually called design quarterback runs Felipe Franks. Very few instances of that. But he, he is functionally mobile. They, they like to move him outside the pocket, and he can scramble. He's not great at it, but he can move around a little bit. But Kurt, let me ask you this. There's, there have been some rumors, maybe a little bit of buzz, that during the bye week, uh, Florida has tried to work Malik Zaire back into the equation here. Not to start him. Uh, they've said that Franks, McElwain said that Felipe Franks is the guy. Uh, he's going to start. But there ha- there have been some rumors that Malik Zaire is going to see some time in certain packages, whether it's to run the zone read, uh, whether it's to kind of run some RPOs, whatever it might be. Could Malik Zaire change the equation for their running game against our rush defense? Not at all. I mean, we've played a lot better uh, dual threat quarterbacks, in my opinion. And at the same time, we saw what he did against Michigan. I mean, he was even worse than Franks. I, I say, please, please play in League Zaire. Honestly, I, I'm, Franks is not any good, but play in League Zaire, please. And if you think that's going to change anything, uh, dude, uh, we got we got something coming for you. Because look at what we've done against Nick Fitzgerald. Look what we did against uh, Brandon Wimbush. We held that entire team to 55 yards rushing their day, and they're averaging over 300 yards a game. So, I mean, we that's, you know, traditionally mobile quarterbacks have always concerned me, but the way we defended them this year with the, the versatility of Lorenzo Carr to be able to play that hybrid outside linebacker kind of star position, please play Leak Zaire because the guy has been a train wreck. He's been so bad all year that you didn't think he was good enough to play over Felipe Franks, who has been just, I mean, I, I'm not even going to call the guy average. He's been pretty bad all year. I mean, we've, you've all seen what he's been able to do. So please, please, Jim McElwain, put, put Malik Zaire in there. See if that changes anything for you. All right, so now let's look here. Talk about the, the Florida pass offense, the Florida rush offense versus our passing defense and our rushing defense. So kind of synthesize all that here. What would your game plan be if you're Mel Tucker? How do you attack this Florida offense? What are you trying to take away? Because um, to me, I, I, that, I would really try to take away the deep threat. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you think that Tyree Cleveland's going Because I think that's the only way to get their offense going is to try to, you know, either a big play. I would just really take away the big plays. Do you think Tyree Cleveland's going to play in this game? Even if he does, I don't think he's 100% healthy, no. I, I think he's going to play. He was out there reading some of their practice reports. He was out there in uh, in practice working with the ones. Uh, he was full go, it looked like. But that doesn't mean he's 100%. I think he's going to play. How effective he's going to be, how healthy he's going to be, I don't know. Um We'll see. I, I don't imagine it'll be a hundred percent, but you're right. He is their big play guy, and that's. I mean, think they wouldn't have beaten Tennessee if it wasn't for those big plays, right? They simply would not have. Um, so I, I think limiting the big plays and making them like forcing them to march down the field, that's something that will that would definitely work in our favor because I don't know if they they have the offensive power to consistently march down the field and put up points. Now, if we give them easy plays like we did against. Uh, Missouri by just blowing coverages, then all of a sudden it can become a game. But if you force them to go down the field, the length of the field, time after time after time, they just they don't consistently get first downs. They don't consistently move the football. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's a fair thing to say. Now for me, if I'm attacking this Florida offense, it's just it's as simple as this, guys. Just do what we do. Okay, there's no need to change what we've been doing to face this Florida offense. And what we've been doing essentially is been play, we've been playing a cover three match or man free coverage in the back end. Uh, and, and cover three match, if you guys aren't familiar with that, that's essentially what Kirby's been running since forever, back to his Bama days. 
It's a flexible defense that pretty much it, it kind of allows us to limit any potential big plays like you're talking about, Kurt, and the, but also at the same time get an extra defender in the box. It has that flexibility. So essentially what you do is – if you and watch us play, guys. Watch our defense. Watch it closely. We'll start with – more often than not, we start with a two-deep safety look, but before the snap we start rotating one of those safeties, and we, we switch – back and forth. It was a Ripper Liz call, which safety is rotating. But we'll rotate one of them towards the line of scrimmage to provide run support. And then what we do is we, we pattern match on the outside. Pattern match meaning like you're playing zone, but you're uh, you're reading the release of the receivers and you're matching what they do based off their release. So our cornerbacks read the release of wide receivers. If they release vertical, our corners cover man. If, they, if the receivers release inside, the corners pass those receivers off to the inside defenders. And we have held up very well in this look all year. And while Cleveland is good, and you're right, Cody is explosive, they just aren't good enough throwing the football for us to come into this game doing anything differently. Like I, I don't, I'm not sure why we would have to do anything different to slow down this offense. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball here, and let's look at our offense versus the Florida defense. So starting with our passing game here, Kurt, versus the Florida pass defense. Uh, I think obviously the defense is still, while they have taken a step back from where they have been the past couple years, it's still the strength of this team pretty clearly. Uh, so is this our passing game versus Florida pass defense? Is this something? Is this a matchup that might favor Florida? Um, I don't know if it favors it as much as I think it is a toss up. Okay, so what are you seeing from this Florida defense that could make this this matchup more of a toss up? Um, I still think they have decent speed. Um, you know, it's not one of those things I think they're dominant in the man to man coverage as they have been, and at the same time, is um. They don't have the pass rush and everything that gave them the chance to lock down players last year. Yeah, well, their pass rush is not as dominant as it was last year. They lost a lot of those guys. Now, some of the guys that were there last year, like CC Jefferson, he's back, uh, and some like Zuniga's back too. But they're while they're back, the other guys are gone. So there's no one there to like kind of back them up. So they don't have it. There's not as much depth from those positions. So I mean, if you look at Florida. Look, they're ninth in the SEC right now, giving up 211 yards passing a game, which that that's a that's a, actually a pretty steep drop off from where they have in the past couple years. But this Florida defense, like it's it's kind of what I expected, and you and I have talked about this coming this season. Like we we expected them to take a step back. There's just no way you can lose all those players at every level of your defense and all that production, and then be expect to be as good the next year, especially when you haven't been recruiting at a very high level. But so while we expected them to take a step back, we didn't expect them to fall off the face of the earth, right? No, and then they did have an injury also. Yeah, um, they had an injury in the safety position before the season. So we we this is this is kind of what we expected. We expected them to be pretty good defensively, but with a definite obvious step back, but not falling off the face of the earth. That's kind of what this floor defense is. They're they're good. They're just a good solid unit, but they're not a dominant unit by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but here's the thing. So this is crazy. I, I kind of did the math here. Florida, so I said they're ninth in the SEC right now in passing defense, giving up 211 yards a game. But th- even though that's not that's not impressive, it's even less impressive when you look at it this way. If you take every offense that Florida has played this year and you take their their ability to throw the football, it averages out to 93rd nationally in passing offense. So what I'm saying is Florida is only ninth in the SEC in passing defense after facing on average the 93rd ranked passing offense each week this season. This season, so that's just that's not a very encouraging thing, a very encouraging stat for this Florida pass defense, um, especially when considering the past couple of years what everyone th- what they have been. And a lot of people out there in the national media have been listening this week, still just kind of assume that Florida's a, a great defense, but they're not. They're a good defense, but they're not dominant. They're just simply not. What is? What do you think? 
what who is the are there is there one or two players kind of stands out to you in their past defense that we should definitely watch out for? Um, I think you always got to look out for uh, Duke Dawson and Chauncey. I mean, Chauncey Gardner. Chauncey Gardner, really. Yeah, run his mouth, Mister Run His Mouth, Chauncey Gardner. Did you actually see the video of him talking that trash? No. Rolling his eyes, his facial expressions. Dude, just what a punk, man. It's all right. He'll get his. He's about to get his. Uh, but if you, for me, the, the strength of their pass defense is their ability to actually rush the passers. They're edge rushers. I think CC Jefferson, uh, Zabari uh, Zunaiga, uh, Jakai Polite, those guys are really good pass rushers. And Jordan Share was actually a starter. Polite and Share, I mean, I, I know Jefferson and Zunaiga get all the, the publicity, especially Jefferson, who's a big time recruit a couple years back. But they haven't been started the past couple games. Polite and Sherrod have been. But Sherrod's out. All right, He's out for the year. So they used, they, they, they used to have a, a two-deep there where they would, just, they would roll Zaniga, Jefferson together, Polite and Sherrod for the most part, roll those guys in and out and kind of and just get that rotation going, keep those guys fresh. Well, one of those guys is out, Jordan Sherrod. And Sherrod is probably, if you're looking at an all-around player defending the run and rushing the passer, he might be the best of that entire group. So I think that's a big loss for them. Uh, you mentioned... Uh, Duke Dawson is probably their biggest playmaker in the secondary for sure. He's been around for a while. He primarily plays in the, in, in the star position, but he, they do move him outside sometimes. But they're, they're, they start two true freshmen at, at corner. They start Marco Wilson, brother of Quincy Wilson from last year, and, and C.J. Henderson at the boundary corner. And those guys are talented. They're very good, but they're young, okay? And, and they have gotten beaten this year on multiple occasions. And, and speaking of Chauncey Gardner at safety, all right, I know this is, we're talking about pass defense, but Chauncey Gardner, dude, he flat out gets run over when he tries to come up in run sport. The, oh, the no, Duke, he, he gets flattened. I, I mean, think it was, what, 67% or I something? I think it was like 70%. He's the, he's the worst in the SEC. He's had like four, over 14 missed tackles on the year. I tweeted this out, or I retweeted it. Uh, he's like a 70% tackle rate right now. So he's got he misses tackles more often than anybody else in the SEC more than anybody else in the entire league, yet he feels like he can talk trash. Okay, that's fine. Just back it up. Clearly, he's backed it up on the field. Clearly, clearly. All right, let's look at the, our rushing game here. Now, this one, I think, is closer to a draw or a push than any other matchup on the field. So if you look at our rush offense versus the Florida rush defense, Kurt, how do you see that one playing out? I should give it to us. I mean, they've still been giving up, what, almost 140 yards a game rushing, and they haven't yeah. played that many great rushing teams. No, they're eighth in the, again, like – Flat out average, eighth in the SEC in rushing defense. Like you said, about 143 yards a game. They're seventh in the SEC, like dead center average in yards per carry allowed. Um, and and you're right, I I do think this favors us. So look at those numbers for Florida, right? 143 yards a game that they're giving up, which is eighth in the SEC, giving up. Uh, they're seventh in yards per carry allowed, but they're about to face a rushing offense that's rushing for 322 yards a game in the SEC. So in conference games. We are averaging 322 yards a game running the football. And we're top 10 nationally overall in running the football on the season through seven games. So you look at us, we're very good at running the football. They're pretty good at stopping the run. They're okay at stopping the run. So again, on the surface here, it favors us. Um, But if you're looking at that Florida front seven, Kurt, is there anyone that kind of gives you some concern that we definitely have to game plan for? Um, I think you always got to look after – Wow, my uh, To me, the guy is Taven Bryan. Yeah, CC. Well, CC Jefferson in the run game. Yeah, I mean, well, CC Jefferson, his game is all—it's all about um, penetration. He's quick. He's not big. He's not particularly strong, but he's very quick. He can penetrate in the backfield and wreak havoc in that way. Jordan Sherritt, like I said earlier, was a really good 
uh, defensive end, kind of a, a hybrid pass rushing run specialist guy. He can he defended the run very well, but also rushed the pass. He converted uh, speed to power very well. Uh, so I think they're going to miss him in slowing down the running game. But here's the name you guys need to know. Number 93, Taven Bryan, has become a force on the interior of that defensive line. He absolutely has been. Coming into the season, I didn't think they had much much in the way of anything on that defensive, uh, on the interior of that defensive line. I, li- I liked what they had on the edges with Zaniga, with Jefferson, with Polite, with Sherritt. But the interior, losing Caleb Brantley, I thought they were going to take a big step back. But Taven Bryan, it took him a couple games to really come on, but Taven Bryan is a man beast on the interior. You guys watching, this guy, I, 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 I'm not the one coming up with this. There's other people have said this, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to take credit for it, but he has a lot of J.J. Watt in his game. Now, he is not J.J. Watt, but he plays with that kind of explosiveness, with that kind of just insane motor. He's always getting after it, just incredibly tough, just a grinder down there in the trenches. Uh, he's a guy that we absolutely have to watch out for, because I, I do have some fear that he could eat some of our offensive linemen alive. I really do. And they move him around a little bit. They'll play him a three technique. That's where he plays most of the time. Sometimes they'll line him up in a in a shade, uh, like a, 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 a one on the uh, the center there, a one technique. So they move him around a little bit. But he is a force against the run, and he's a force against the pass too. I mean, he, he's a he's become a very good pass rusher. He gave Kellen Mond nightmares when when A and M went into into the swamp to face the Gators. So it's a really good play. And you watch him, man. He like he like coils right before the snap, and then he strikes, just explodes into the defender, explodes in the backfield. He is the guy that I'm really keeping my eye on. And I would say, and Curry, tell me if you disagree. I would say that I think Florida is more equipped to slow down our running game than any team we face this point. I'm not saying they will slow it down, but I'm just saying I think based on who we played to this point, I think Florida is more equipped to slow down our ground game than any team we face. Would you agree? Maybe with the front four, their linebackers are probably not the best we've seen. Yeah, I mean, their linebackers are average. I mean, that's that's about as kind as I can be. David Reese is their middle linebacker, and he's he's pretty good. He's okay. Uh, he's certainly no Roquan Smith. He's not overly athletic. He's not overly big. He's not a thumper. They rotate a, co- a couple other guys in there. Christian Garcia, they, they rotate in there. Voshan Joseph, Kylan Johnson, they rotate all these guys in there. They have they, they basically have a, a 2D that they kind of just rotate in and out, in and out. But there's not one of them – that's that kind of stands out. That's a spectacular player. That's a true game changer that you have to game plan around. They don't have that yet. They're they're solid at best. Uh, but I don't know. Like, is this? It could like we talked about at some point. J- Jake Fromm's probably going to have to beat a team with his arm. He's going to put it. He's going to have to put us on his back and beat somebody with his arm. Is this maybe the game where they're able to slow down our running game enough to where Fromm finally has to beat them with his arm? Um, I think so. I think this could be at least our biggest challenge to this point. All right, so if you're Jim Chaney, what would be your game plan for attacking the Florida Demons? You think we have an advantage running the football and throwing the football, but how would you come out attacking them? I think you're going to have to do what we've done the last couple games and throw in early downs. Yeah, that's exactly what I have in my notes. I think it's To me, it's that simple. Throw the football. I can almost guarantee you. I hate speaking absolutes. If you listen to the show, you know that. I think that's lazy. But I, I'm, uh, here I'm going to say this. I can almost guarantee you that Florida is going to come out and stack the box and try to slow down our run game. Every team does that. But I can almost guarantee you Florida's going to do that because they believe, they have this belief that they're DBU, right? And that they're going to be able to match up with our wide receivers on the outside. They, they believe that. So they're going to try to stack the, stack the box and to throw them out of those looks. We're going to have to throw the football. We're going to have to throw the football because 
we're gonna. I mean, if they put seven, eight guys in the box like that, we're gonna have a tougher time running the football than we have against most other teams that we've played to this point. Their defense is good enough to do that, especially a guy like Taven Bryan in the interior, and some of those guys get on the edge. But their secondary matchup against our receivers, we're gonna have to win those battles. So I, I think we need to come out throwing the football in some of those early downs, loosen them up, and, and and take it from there, and kind of and just kind of adjust as we as we go through the game. But that's what I do. I come out throwing the football, no doubt about it. All right, so if you're looking at the keys to the game, Kirk, what would be the biggest key to us winning this football game? Uh, taking care of the ball. Just don't give them anything easy? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I think if we can take care of the ball and not turn it over and then win it, win the special teams, you know, because they have a great punter. Um, yeah, Johnny Townsend's very good. Yeah, if we can win the, the uh, field position battle, then we'll win the game. Yeah, so I mean, like, so basically you're of the mind that we're the better football team. The only way they win is if we screw up and, and just give them the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that argument. For me, it's kind of to piggyback on what I was just saying there about throwing the football. The key to the game for me is our wide receivers are going to have to be able to consistently win against man coverage. Because like I said, I can almost guarantee you that Florida's going to come out and try to take away the run, play man coverage on the outside in the belief that they are good enough in the secondary to take away our passing game. Because after all, they are DBU, right? You've heard the talk. You've heard you've heard the trash talk from Chauncey Gardner. They got no respect for our passing game. They got no respect for Jake Fromm. Anybody can throw a slant, right? Clearly, he's watched our games in depth. Uh, because if you think Jake Fromm's only throwing slants, uh, I don't know what you're looking at, man. Uh, so look, we're, we're going to have to shut them up and make them pay for that game plan. We're going to have to make them pay for trying to cover our guys uh, man-to-man. Terry, Ridley, Wims, Miko, they are all going to have to win their matchups and make big plays because if that happens, then Florida has no chance. They have no chance to beat us if our receivers are able to win one-on-one matchups consistently because they will have to pull their bodies out of the box if we start burning them. They're going to have to give help to their corners, and if they do that, then we're just going to flat-out run wild on them. So to me, this game very well could come down to our wide receivers and their ability to win against man coverage, and also, of course, Jake Fromm's ability to stay in the pocket and hit them. So if that happens, ooh, man, uh, then I think Florida's going to be in some trouble. All right, we always like to do this, talk about the biggest reason for optimism and the biggest reason for concern before we get into our picks of the week. So if you're looking at this matchup, what's your biggest reason for optimism coming into Saturday? Um, I think just the way our team has played so far this year, the business-like attitude they've taken. Yeah, I, I think it's that simple. To me, what I wrote down here is just, to me, it's the reality of the season. The reality of the season to this point. They, The reality is that Florida has a subpar offense. They've struggled to move the ball on any kind of consistent basis, and we have a dominant defense. That's just reality. They're ranked 68th in yards per play. They're ranked 103rd in total offense, while defensively, we're 5th in yards per play and 3rds in, in yards per game allowed. It's just a very favorable matchup for us on the surface. The reality of the situation is we are the better football team, and we should win this game. It's as simple as that. But just because you're the better football team, just because the stats say you're better, does not mean you always win. That's why we have upsets each and every week. So, Kurt, if you're looking on the other side there, what would be the biggest reason for concern for you heading into Saturday's game? Uh, Fromm is yet to tr- uh, have his freshman moment, really, in my opinion. Don't you feel like it's coming at some point? Yeah. Doesn't it have to? Like, I was watching the Texas-Oklahoma State game last week, and I don't know how many of you saw that. Kurt, did you see that game? Yeah. Yeah, when you saw uh, Sam Ellinger, Texas's freshman quarterback, who's been really good for them, and he's kind of sparked their offense, sparked their team a little bit. But in overtime, he has just that, that freshman moment. It just And it comes at the most inopportune time, where in overtime, there's literally nobody but his imaginary friend in the end zone. He just 
throws it up, just lofts it up, and gives Oklahoma State defender time to run under there and intercept the ball. Game over. Texas loses. So, and you didn't see that coming. Like, where was that coming from? Texas had the momentum. They might win the football game. They held Oklahoma State to a field goal in the first overtime there. So I, that's my fear. It's like, is 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 it is it going to happen? And is it, if it's going to happen, when is it going to happen? It's bound to happen at some point. And how bad is it going to be? How damaging is it going to be when Fromm has that freshman moment? I think that's a fair thing to be concerned about. Uh, for me, it's this is what I'm concerned about. And I know this has become a broken record week after week, but it, it doesn't mean it's not true. To me, the biggest reason for concern, like it was against Tennessee, like it was against Vanderbilt, is just the situation that we're in. Florida's coming off back-to-back home losses. Their backs are firmly against the wall. They are in an absolute must-win game if they even want to possibly stay alive, even mathematically, in the SEC East race. We're the number three team in the country, so clearly we have a target on our back, and Florida believes they own us. They truly believe that. And uh, I think it's kind of getting, you see with the trash talk, it's kind of getting under their skin that since they, they think they own us, but we're ranked number three while they're sitting there at three and three on the year. So they're going to come out firing, at least early. And I, and I firmly believe we're going to get their best shot. So the question is, will we, will we be ready to match that? Okay, so situationally, I don't love it, but you know what? I haven't loved, I didn't love it against Tennessee situation. I didn't love it against Vanderbilt situationally. And we answered those questions. So I hope we're able to answer that again this week. But Florida is very much a different animal than than Tennessee and Vanderbilt. There's no doubt about that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move into our picks of the week. Kurt, you had a good week last week. Man. You had a little bit of a better week than me. You had a bounce back. We got, I had a good week the week before. I had an okay week last week. But uh, you bounced back. So now we're both at 42-11 and 11 straight up on the season. Uh, over 75%, man. I'm loving that. Uh, I st- even though you had a, you had a solid week against the spread, but you're at 18 and 20 on the season against the spread. I'm sticking at 24 and 12 on the season against the spread. I don't even know what my magic is, man. I don't know. I've been making money for people. You've been listening to me on the spread. I've been making money for you. I don't know how long that's going to last, but been pretty solid so far. But let's go ahead and get into this week's picks of the week. So we're going to start in the SEC, Kurt. Uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores traveling to South Carolina in kind of a oh, sleepy matchup there. South Carolina is a seven-point favorite. So who do you see winning? Who do you see covering? I see South Carolina winning and covering. Ooh, South Carolina. Um, yeah, man. I, look, I think South Carolina, they, when they lost Debo Samuel, they it took them a second there to kind of get stabilized. But I, I do think they finally stabilized themselves um, after losing him after a couple games here. So, and look, Vanderbilt is simply not a very good football team, okay? They are just simply not a very good football team, and they've kind of faced one. They got to that 3-0 start. CBS put them on uh, their game of the week, 3-3 against Alabama, and since that point, they have just flat-out face-planted. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm going South Carolina to win at home, and I'm also going South Carolina to cover the seven. I'm actually surprised it's not a bigger spread. I mean, it's only seven points at home against Vanderbilt. Interesting to me. All right, next one, also kind of a, a yawner here. I think possibly a battle of the two, two of the three worst teams in the league. You got Arkansas traveling to Ole Miss, the Shea Patterson list Ole Miss Rebels. So, Kurt, how you seeing this one? Ole Miss or Arkansas? I'm going to probably go with Ole Miss. Ole Miss, even without Patterson? 
I do. I still think they have too many weapons. And it's, it's it's a pick 'em. It's straight up even right now. At least last time I looked. So Ole Miss, even without Patterson, has too many weapons. Oh yeah. So I guess Ole Miss to win. Ole Miss to cover. Look, man. Ah, man. I think Shea Patterson was that offense. Without, I know they have some weapons. You know, AJ Brown's the leading receiver in the league right now, and he is a stud. Van Jefferson's a good receiver. But they're going to play in a JUCO transfer quarterback that's played nothing in the SEC. At least, at least Arkansas's quarterback. And they both have backup quarterbacks. Arkansas's backup quarterback Cole Kelly. At least he started the last two games against Auburn, Alabama. Now, I think Ole Miss is essentially throwing the towel. I really do, man. I think they've essentially thrown the towel, especially now with uh, Patterson going out. I do think think they probably have more talent overall, but. I don't know if it's going to matter. I really think they kind of throw in the towel here. So I'm going to actually go Arkansas here to win and obviously also to cover the, the even spread. All right, Missouri is heading up north, the great white beyond, to take on the Connecticut Huskies. Missouri is the 12-point favorite, 12-point road favorite. So, Kurt, are they going to win? Are they going to win and cover this game? Yeah, I think they do. I think they just have too much firepower for UConn. Yeah, uh, look, man, I, I know – Missouri's been kind of a laughing stock. You have them to cover also? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think I know they've been a laughing stock for much of the year and what they're sitting. They were coming in last. I think last week they were 1-5 coming into the year. Or coming into last week, and they were 2-5 now after the win last week against Idaho. But I, I firmly believe that Missouri has a, a legit shot to get to bowl eligibility. I think they can get to six wins. They're, they're, they're going to continue that march. All, to get to six wins, they essentially have to either upset uh, Florida or Tennessee. At home. They get both those teams at home. Missouri's going to torch UConn, guys. UConn is dead last in yards per game allowed. They're dead last in pass yards a game, or or giving up each game. They're 124th in the nation in completion percentage allowed. And what does Missouri do? Oh, that's right. They throw the ball down the field. They kill you with the pass. So I think Missouri is going to torch UConn. If you guys are looking to put some money down, I might look at this game as definitely Missouri straight up. You want to bet the money line. I, I feel pretty good about Missouri covering that. I know Missouri's defense is terrible, and UConn's a, a pretty solid offense, but I think Missouri's going to go into Connecticut and uh, and win and also cover here. I'm with you, Kurt. All right, uh, Tennessee's an interesting game here. Uh, Tennessee is traveling to the Bluegrass State to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one, Kurt. Who are you taking? I'm taking Kentucky, especially after the suspension of John Kelly now. Yeah, Kentucky straight up? Yeah. Kentucky straight up, do they cover the three and a half? Yeah. Yeah, without John Kelly, with him not there, I mean, what does Tennessee have to lean on offensively? They have nothing. They got the savior in Guarantano. <laughs> savior, yes. It's, it's hilarious. I thought he was the savior. And look at his, oh, God, he's, he was such a punk, man. That first, I still can't get over how he acted in that first game on the sideline when they were playing Tech and didn't get in. What a freaking crybaby. Uh, but I'm with you, man. Without John Kelly, there's just no way. I, I, I'd consider going with Tennessee before that. With John Kelly out, I just don't know what they have offensively to lean on. I just there's just nothing. I don't think Kentucky. I don't really think either team is very good. I think Kentucky is obviously more stable at quarterback. It's at home. It's at night in Tennessee. Tennessee is now spiraling into the depths of despair. You mentioned Garantano. He's not shown the ability to go on the road and lead his team to victory against a solid opponent without their biggest offensive weapon in John Kelly. So Kentucky all day long, and that line might go up. I had that line before the John Kelly suspension came down. Um, no, I like this game, man. This is I think it's going to be a really good game, a fun game to watch Saturday night. Mississippi State, the Bizarro Dogs, are traveling to Texas A&M to College Station. It's an interesting one here, man. How do you see this one playing out? I'm going State, uh, A&M. A&M. They're plus one, so I'm basically taking them straight up and to, and to cover. Obviously, get that one. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm with you, man. It's, to me, it's kind of a toss-up here. 
Uh, I had to think about this one for a bit. Here's the difference for me. Look, A&M is coming off a bye, which I do think is always a big deal. They'll be the fresher team. Um, they're at home, clearly. It's at night. Kellamon has continued to improve as a passer. Christian Kirk, in my opinion, is be the best player in the field, and I'm not sure Mississippi State's going to have an answer for him. Uh, and the thing is, like, I know that you got you got Nick Fitzgerald on the other side from Mississippi State run that offense, and they they have a pretty potent offense at times. But A&M has actually been pretty respectable on defense this year. It's kind of been an underrated story for them. They've been pretty good, at least compared to other years. Like I said, it's at home for them. It's at night. Uh, plus one here, I'm going to take A&M as well to win and obviously cover. All right, now let's get outside the SEC here for a couple quick games. We've got Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia's the seven-point home underdog, Kurt. So can they pull the upset against Oklahoma State? No, I think Oklahoma State's going to bounce back after that terrible showing last week. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you here. Uh, so you got Oklahoma, straight, Oklahoma State straight up. Do you have them to cover yeah. the seven? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm with you on both accounts there. Uh, look, to, to beat Oklahoma State, you need to have the ability to stop the run with the front seven. So what you can do is play two high safety looks to beat them, okay, and to take them out of their passing. That's what Texas did to them all game long. And Texas was able to stop their rushing game with the, basically a front five, front six most of the time. They just couldn't – Oklahoma State's offensive line just simply could not move Texas, could not consistently block them. But the thing is, West Virginia is 100th nationally defending the run. It's just a bad matchup for them. So I know it's in Morgantown. It's, it's going to be a, a pretty rowdy crowd there. Uh, and it's an early game. It's a noon game, which is kind of – for Oklahoma State, the second time in a row, two weeks in a row playing those road noon games. But I think Oklahoma State goes into Morgantown and comes out with another victory. I don't think it's a great matchup for West Virginia there. Uh, another game here, and I kind of snuck this one in, because this wasn't on the agenda, but I snuck it in here. Uh, Georgia Tech is heading to Death Valley to take on the Clemson Tigers. Clemson's a 14-point favorite. Does Tech have any chance in this one? I, I, I have Clemson, but not covering. I think the difference is, you know, it's hard to beat Tech by a lot because the way they control the ball, they don't give you that many opportunities. But I think the big thing else, Clemson, is they're coming off the bye week. Yeah, I think Clemson's going to win this game. Uh, they had the bye. They had the bye week. They lost, they lose on the Friday night to uh, uh, to Syracuse and have the bye week. And that's when you when you phase Georgia Tech, you want to have as much time as possible to prepare for that offense to get ready for it. You just don't see it. We all know that. We played it every year. We know that bye weeks are very beneficial when you're playing Tech. Also, lots of guys to get rested up. Uh, but I, this is a sneaky tough game for Clemson. I really believe it is because, like you said, Tech possesses the football. Uh, they they just gonna bleed the clock, and if you don't capitalize on every possession, then that's when Tech can really hurt you. And we don't know what's going on with Kelly Bryant. He might play, he might not play. If he does play, how healthy is he gonna be? If Clemson goes in that game with a backup quarterback, they better watch out because Tech Tech is good enough to take them down because it's just not. I mean, I know Clemson defense is really good, but it's just a different offense they're facing. How how much of their defense translates, or how much of what they've done defensively to this point translates when they play Georgia Tech? I don't know. If you don't have your starting quarterback. That's concerning, but I, I, I do think Clemson's going to win the football game. I think the bye week's very beneficial for them, but I, I'm with you. I think I got Tech to cover here as well. All right, next one here. This is a game I'm heavily interested in because what Notre Dame does from here on is absolutely going to impact our resume, and we need our resume to be as strong as possible. So NC State is traveling to South Bend to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Notre Dame is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, Curtis. How do you see this one playing out? I have Notre Dame. I, I think that NC State is good. I just don't think they have the offense to stay with them. Whew, Notre Dame wins. They cover the 7.5. That hook, man, that, that half a point there, they cover that? Yeah. Ooh, Notre Dame. I'm, I, dis, I disagree, sir. I disagree. 
Uh, I've gone back and forth in this, man. Like, I really want Notre Dame to win because my heart is saying Notre Dame so that we can we continue to have a win over a top 10 team on our resume. I really want Notre Dame to win for that reason. But my head, when I look at this matchup, my head is telling me NC State. So I'm going to take NC State outright to win this game. They have Notre Dame has no doubt been a juggernaut running the football. They're averaging 317 yards a game. Uh, well, at least when they're playing anyone but us. We held them to 55 yards rushing total. Uh, but NC State is a top 10 rushing defense, allowing only 91 yards a game. So outside of playing us, NC State will be the next best defense that Notre Dame has played. And, and NC State does a good job with Bradley Chubb and company stopping the run there. So, And, and here's the thing. If you can make Notre Dame one-dimensional, if you can take away their running game like we did, I'm still not sure Brandon Winbush is ready to beat anyone with his arm, even though they do have some really good wide receivers like, like Equinemius St. Brown. And NC State's defense gets all the pub, but look, I don't know, like, I, I know they're not necessarily exp- – you, you don't think about NC State being an, an explosive offense. They're really not but they actually have a top 25 offense nationally right now. So I really want Notre Dame to win. My heart is going to be pulling for them. I'd rather get this pick wrong because uh, I, I, we need them to continue to win to make our resume look better. But my head's saying NC State, so I'm going NC State here to win outright, and obviously to cover the 7.5. All right, one more before we get to our game here, Kurt. It's another big one. I'm actually pissed this game's at 3.30. Stupid freaking World Series. Nobody cares about baseball. Baseball needs to stop when football season starts. No one cares. At least no one in my circle of friends, which is admittedly very small. But I don't care about baseball once football season starts. Baseball needs to rethink their entire season and do the World Series in August because baseball is dead to me when football starts. So I'm kind of pissed this game is at 3.30 right when our game's being played instead of at night when it normally would be on Fox. But... The Penn State Nittany Lions, fresh off their win against what I think is a pretty oh, just average Michigan team. A, a, a solid Michigan team, but nothing great. They're heading now to the horseshoe to take on Ohio State. Kurt, the Buckeyes are a six-and-a-half-point favorite here. It's an interesting matchup, man. How do you see this one playing out? I'm going Ohio State. Ooh, really? Saquon Barkley doesn't get it done? I just think Ohio State, I just think they have more to play for right now, and I think the biggest difference is it's a home game for them. Um and I think that while Michigan was not much of a game for them last year, it's a hard or last week it's hard to get up two weeks in a row. Yeah. You saw it happen so, last year. They lose to Michigan by a lot and then beat Ohio State. Yeah, and Ohio State does have the revenge factor on their hands here. We'll see if that plays into this. Let me ask you this before I give you my pick here. Let me ask you this: like, who do we need to win this game? Oh, the Notre Dame game. I'm talking about how I, I want Notre Dame to win for our resume in this matchup of Penn State versus Ohio State. Two, probably the two best teams in the Big Ten. Who do we need to win this game? Who should Georgia fans be rooting for? I think for? we need Penn State to win because yes. then that makes it their only one clear team from the Big Ten. Yes, it would eliminate Ohio State. So the possibility of having two Big Ten teams is completely removed if Penn State is, wins this game. So I think we, I'm with you. I think Penn State needs to win because if Ohio State wins, like both those teams are likely going to finish 11-1, and but only one of them can make it to the Big, the Big Ten title game because in the same division. And I know there's a lot of football left. I definitely don't want to get ahead of myself. But if, gigantic if, but if it plays out that we're 12-0 heading into Atlanta but lose a close game to Bama in the title game, I'm highly concerned that a one-loss Penn State will get in ahead of us if they lose to Ohio State. I don't think they should, but I'm concerned it could happen if you think about all the love that they get. Uh, So if Penn State beats Ohio State, then that situation is null and void because Ohio State will have two losses. So I I'm, I think I'm gonna be pulling for Penn State in this one. I really do. And then it probably means they'll they'll jump us or or stay ahead of us uh, in the polls or whatever. But that's that's who cares right now. Right now we should focus on taking care of our business. Uh, but for me, I think I do think Penn State. I want them to win. I think they're going to win. Actually, I know Ohio State is coming off the bye. Normally, 
by rule. I, I like to pick the teams that come off by as your fresher. But I just I still don't know who Ohio State is at this point. I mean, they've played one game versus an opponent that's worth anything. Uh, since they played Oklahoma, they've outscored teams 266 to 56 because they're playing the likes of Army, uh, Rutgers. They're playing teams like that that just in Nebraska who stand no chance. And I just I don't trust JT Barrett in big games against a good defense. If you look at the last three games against good defenses in big games, you get Michigan last year to end the regular season, Clemson, and then Oklahoma this year. He's, he threw for 124 yards against Michigan, 127 against Clemson, only 183 against Oklahoma, with a combined completion percentage of 53% in those games. So I know it's tough to get jacked up two games in a row. I know it's at Ohio State. All those things point to Ohio State, but I think Penn State's more talented. And so I'm going to go Penn State here to a win and obviously then cover the spread. I got a couple of upset picks, man. I got a couple of underdogs I'm taking this week. All right, and then really the only game that matters, at least to us here, is our matchup, Georgia and Florida in Jacksonville. Kurt, we are a 14-point favorite in Jacksonville. Do we win this football game? I have us winning. I just I don't know if we cover. That's the thing. Give me a score. What are you, what are you looking at? What's the score going to be? I could see anywhere from 27 to 13 to 24 to 13. Yeah, I think that that's, that sounds that sounds fair. That sounds really fair. Uh, and you guys, uh, so Kurt is a better man than I am. He actually picks our games like that. If you listen to the show, you know how I do this. I know we have some newer listeners, so I'll quickly explain it. I don't have it in me to ever – pick against us, right? I just can't. Even if I think we're going to lose, I, I, I can't. I I, I, just, I I feel like a traitor. I feel sick to my stomach. I just, I can't, man. It makes me want to throw up picking against us. So to with that in mind, to also, also kind of maintain my intellectual integrity, because I don't want to be that homer just always picks us every single game, even if I think we're going to lose, I do what I call just my, my confidence meter here. I rank it on a scale of 1 to 10 based on how confident I am coming into the game that we're going to win this football game. And for me, in this game against Florida, I'm really again. It's not like I would, if I could pick half numbers, I would pick like a six and a half. But if I had to go between a six and a seven, I'm gonna lean more towards a seven here. And it's kind of just because what we laid out. And, and again, I know it sounds like a broken record, and because I, I said it a couple weeks ago. But every single game that we're gonna play this season, at least in the regular season, will be about us. Okay, it's not about the other team. It's about us. We are clearly the more talented, better coached team. We are just simply better than them. We just are. But the thing is, the gap between us and them is not so great, in my opinion. I mean, I'm just one dude. But in my opinion, the gap between us and them is not so great that they are incapable of pulling the upset if we come out and play below the I mean, the really high standard we've set for ourselves at this point. And, and that, to me, that's the concerning part. If there is a concerning part, that's the concerning part. This is an annual game where we... I mean, on a pretty regular basis, play below our standards and capabilities. But saying that, like we said at the outset, I do believe this is a new year and a new team. This is a different Georgia team, man. It's it's a team that has answered every question to this point. You know, can we win in a huge national TV spot at Notre Dame with a true freshman quarterback making his first ever road start? Well, we answer that question. Okay, are we going to have a letdown after Notre Dame? Are we going to have a letdown uh, against a buzzworthy Mississippi State team? Well, we respond with an, with an emphatic answer there. Okay, after that, can we can we handle that success and everyone gushing about us nationally and win a rivalry game against Tennessee in a tough environment? Well, we respond with, a, with an emphatic answer there. Okay, okay. Can we avoid the letdown spot at Vandy in, in an 11 a.m. local kick in a high school stadium with multiple starters out? Well, yet again, we have an emphatic answer. 
And now this is just the latest question this team has to answer. Can we exercise our Florida Demons in Jacksonville? And to me, I think the answer is yes. It might not be as emphatic as the answers we had in Tennessee and Vanderbilt, but I think the answer is yes. And, and, and like I said earlier, like the fact that Florida's resorted to trash talking in the media and we aren't responding at all, to me, that's the most encouraging thing I've seen all week. This is a different team. You see that. It's, it's a team that's finally starting to take on the characteristics of its head coach, an intensely focused team that's focused on the task at hand. Very business-like, like you were saying, Curtis. We're fighting complacency. I, I would kind of call us the silent killer. We don't talk trash in the media. We take care of business. We're, we are a silent killer right now. And look, guys, like I completely understand, man. Like If you're scarred from all the years of misery and disappointment in Jacksonville, I get it, man. I completely understand why you're taking the I'll believe it when I see it approach this game. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous, nervous about this game. I am. I, I, I am scarred from all those years too, guys. Trust me, I am. It's, it's gotten in my head. But the thing is, when people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it, the guys, the thing is, we have seen it. Like, let's not forget that we won three in a row in this series between 2012 and 2014. Yeah, I know Florida's won the last three, but it's not like we haven't had success in this series, even relatively recently. So I, I know people are saying, well, I believe it when I see it. Well, we have seen it. We just got to do it again. And the fact is, I mean, it's a simple fact, guys. Every single matchup in this game favors us. And that's been the case in every game so far this year. Uh, and like again, this game, like they all have been, is about us. If we play to our standard, it doesn't freaking matter what Florida does. Florida at their best isn't good enough to beat us when we're at the top of our game. They're desperate for sure. They do think they own us. They're going to come out firing. But I, for one, just me, I believe we're going to match that intensity. Uh, and they're going to almost certainly come out defensively, very aggressive, attacking the run with extra defenders in the box, believe that, that their corners can match up with our wide receivers and man coverage. But I think we're going to make them pay for that, which is going to open up the run. And on the other side of the ball, like we've, like we laid out earlier, it's just an overwhelming mismatch. Sure, it's, I mean, maybe it's entirely possible if Felipe Franks plays the game of his life and I don't know, miraculously becomes a top-shelf quarterback overnight, but that's what's going to take for them to have any sort of consistent offensive success. And I guess while that's possible, it's possible their offense kind of all of a sudden comes to life against a top-five defense, I don't think any reasonable person can sit here and predict or even expect that's going to happen. And it bears mentioning, guys, this Florida team, I know they're 3-3 and right now, they very easily could be 1-5, all right? They had that, that miracle win at the end against Tennessee. They might have won that game in overtime, maybe. By no means should they have beat Kentucky. Kentucky let them win because they did not cover two receivers. So what I'm saying is this Florida team, I mean, we should respect them, and I do respect Florida. They deserve our respect. But we're the better football team. We should win this game if we play like we've been playing, anywhere close to that level. So, yeah, my comments meter is 7 here. Kurt thinks we're going to win. So let's just let's get this done, man. Let's go into Jacksonville and keep this train rolling. This is just the next stop on the Kirby Smart Revenge Train from last year's mishaps of a seven and five regular season. But uh, that's it, Kurt. You good, man? Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here, guys. Appreciate you listening to the show here. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Appreciate each and every one of you listening. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs.